Good morning to all of you. Oh, man. Good morning to all of you. Yeah, there you go. That was great. This morning, we're going to continue um, with our study in Malachi. And today, we'll be picking up at Malachi chapter 2. So if you would... Grab your copy of God's word and turn with me to Malachi chapter 2. Give you a sec to turn there, Malachi chapter 2. And this morning we're going to be uh, working with verses 10 through 16 in Malachi chapter 2. I want to just begin by first just saying that many people today and in times past have fallen into this, this trap of trying to, please, trying to please man rather than God. In our culture, people want to be accepted. You see little children on the playgrounds, they're playing with other kids. They want to be accepted by other kids, so they, they do sometimes foolish things. And even adults find themselves doing foolish things out of wanting to be accepted. We see people today, they change their hairstyles, they grow out or shave their beards, they try to lose weight. They try to build more muscle. They take all kinds of supplements. They go back to school for more education, all to be accepted by men. They buy the car. They buy the house. They want the job to get the cash to buy the girl. In many cases, people want to be accepted but oftentimes, their acceptance is built upon a foundation from the creation rather than the creator. You see, wanting to be accepted and being accepted is different things. And so we're able to uh, look at this portion of scripture where we're able to identify with the people of God. We're able to, if you would, find yourself within the text. And in the backdrop, be thinking about who we are in Christ, the salvation that we have, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are some lessons here I think would be helpful for us this morning. And so, as we go into the word of God, let us begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll continue. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks for this privilege to be able to, as was prayed, to have a, 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 a copy of your word in so many formats. We're able to grab your word. We're able to feed our souls from your word, and we thank you this morning that we can come before you and look into your word. We pray that you would help us to be listeners, 
Help us to be hearers of your word. And we pray that through your word, you would speak to circumstances, to trials, to decisions that has to be made. And speak to the one who do not know you that you might draw them to yourself. And Lord, we pray that in all of this, you would get the honor and the glory. Help me, Lord God, as I decrease, may you increase the more that your people would only see you. Use my weakness to glorify yourself the more. In Jesus' name, amen. So hopefully we're all there. I'm going to begin at Malachi chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. We're going to be reading verses 10 through 16. Hear now the word of the living God. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, an abomination has been committed in Israel. And in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, you cover The Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. The man who does not love his wife but divorces her says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Let us begin with verses 10 through 12 of our text, Malachi begins with words of encouragement to his fellow countrymen. The word of God, the prophet states, have we not all one father has not one God created us? Here in the text, the writer is is using rhetorical language. His goal in using this kind of questioning is to draw attention to something special, something that is meaningful. It's as if 
Like we, when we are having a conversation and we're engaging in the conversation and we respond with, what do you think? It's a rhetorical question to bring light to the situation, to the circumstance. And here, the goal of Malachi, that's what he's trying to do. He's describing a situation that identifies truth when he says, we have we, not all, one father. The statement seemed to point us to the oneness concept that leads to divine acceptance. Malachi is crying out to the people and pleading with them to embrace oneness and return to the traditions they've learned and used to live by. In other words, they must become obedient again. They they must become committed followers of God again. They must become devoted men and women of God. And so God's people, they're familiar with these words in their ears. Listen to a portion of scripture in 2 Kings. 2 Kings 17, 13, the scripture we just heard in our scripture reading by Brother Deepu, verse 13, it says, Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I've commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. You see, what we see here is that loyalty is not a suggestion. God is not asking for loyalty. God is commanding loyalty. And so God commands it to be so. As the people of God, it's, it's expected of them to hear and to listen to the word of God. Exodus 6 and 7, it says, I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. God identifies himself by saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out. Exodus 19, 5 and 6, it says, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my, com- my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you should speak to the people of Israel. What we're seeing here, 
that is built into the text that seems to be this idea of remembering. This idea of going back again to the word of God that we might remember what God has said. We even have this uh, painted for us in the New Testament uh, in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. There it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have Received mercy. One of the distinguishing traits that identifies one as a child of God is relationship with God. As children of God, we are also in unity with one another because of the unique relationship we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of our union with Christ that we are able to identify with one another. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12 and 12. There the text says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. What is common with the people of God is not at all common with those that are not in union with the Lord Jesus Christ through faith. There are certain people that will come and be amongst us, but they only can identify with us so far if they are not in relationship, in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, it was like that also in Malachi's day. They were God's chosen people. It was not because they were in great numbers. It was not because they were holy and righteous amongst all the peoples everywhere. But God sovereignly chose them through grace. And so here... We have Malachi the prophet is bringing them back to their identity. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? He's referring to the covenant people of God who had a unique relationship through Abraham by way of a covenant. God agreed with the people of God that he would do certain people do certain things for them because they are his chosen people. And so even though we have this we also have a new covenant. As children of God we came by way of a new covenant through Christ who came 
who came through the line of David and would sit on David's throne forever and would be at the right hand of the Father making intercessions for us who have become children of God through faith. And so through Christ, we were adopted into the family of God therefore becoming sons of God through our union with him. In John 1, 12 through 13, the word of God says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. How? But of God. We identify with Christ because of what he have done for us who were dead in trespasses and in sin, but have been brought near to God through faith because of what he have done for us on the cross. When we think about the cultural challenges of our day, we can easily see them manifesting themselves in our neighborhoods, throughout our streets. In every city, we see all kinds of wickedness and sin. And we know that the Lord in particular will not be pleased because of the way in which sin is being carried out against one another. Sin is even being carried out amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. They are sinning against one another. And so we are reminded here of how we must draw near to God, how we must not lose our uh, state in knowing who we are in Christ. And so the prophet, while being led by God, saw the sinful practices of the people that ultimately led to violating the traditions of the covenant. So here we see the first violation that prevented the people from being accepted by God is unfaithfulness to God and to one another. Unfaithfulness to God and to one another. The title is Unfaithfulness That Prevents Us From Being Divinely Accepted. In other words, we want to be in the will of God. We want to be doing those things that pleases God, that honors God. And so we're able to see in the text some things that will prevent us from being accepted by God. Now, we are accepted in that Christ have done all the work for us. We accept it in the sense that Christ is our righteousness, and that is true, but we're also supposed to be in fellowship with God and we can be out of fellowship with God when there is continuous sin. And so we're able to see this here in Malachi's day. The first violation that prevented the people from being accepted by God is unfaithfulness to God and to one another. In verse 10, Malachi states in the text, why then are we faithless 
to one another, profaning the covenant of our father. He moves from positive reinforcement to, to negative reinforcement. And the point he points to is an unfaithfulness to one another and to God. So unfaithfulness to one another is addressed in verse 10 of our text with another rhetorical question. The main thrust in the, vo- in the verse points to how unfaithfulness can lead to the mistreatment of one another. How many relationships do you know of to this day that is broken even now because one person is unfaithful to another? Uh, or maybe... Uh, You know of someone that is out of good relationship with one another because one have lied to the other, one have mistreated the other. Uh, we, We see all kinds of mistreatment with one another in our culture, in our family, even in the body of Christ, the church. But we do have a means that we might turn from sin and turn to God. And so to go back to this point of unfaithfulness to one another, others have translated this word faithless or faithlessness to be also as also the same as dealing treacherously with someone. In other words, it it has to do with wronging someone through being disloyal, dishonest, deceitful, and even cheating. This is the context in which the prophet is addressing the people. He's recognizing the ways in which the people were behaving themselves. He's pointing to their conduct and asking them to think about the ways in which they are living. So this is the situation throughout the text. People had gotten to a point where they did not care anymore. They were surrounded with sin. Instead of turning from sin, they embrace sin. They practice sin. These are the covenant people of God. So the question that we need to ask ourselves, how am I being unfaithful to God? Where am I joining in the sin that is in the culture of the day? Is it gossip? Is it it lying? Is it not keeping my word? Is it not... Doing what I have promised to do. We all have to put ourselves in the text to see how we can change for the glory of God. So we see the situation here that led to unfaithfulness to one another and the result being that their unfaithfulness led to profaning the covenant they made with God. 
might think about it as being a little thing, but ultimately God hates sin and therefore we ought to hate it as well. So there's no little white lies. God hates it all. So there's, there's no room for any of us to be self Righteous, but rather we're able, the scripture says, you who are spiritual, come alongside one another. You're to reach and grab those who are in sin and we're to bring them near. We're to restore them back into a right relationship with God and with man. And so the scripture is a reminder. It encourages the people of God to love one another, to build friendships with one another that is founded upon the love of Christ. And so we must do the same. We must be in unity with each other. We see expressions of this through the unity and the loyalty with one another amongst the people of God, amongst those who have gone on before us. For example, in the book of Ruth, Ruth had a loving, godly relationship with Naomi. And in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, she came to the conclusion and says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Why would she want to do that? It is more likely because Naomi, who at one time, was found in a bitter place because of the loss of her sons, but then would end up remembering the goodness of God. She she demonstrated what it means to be a woman of God on the basis of her life before Ruth. And Ruth continues saying, for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. That's a loving, godly relationships. Don't break this up. I love you, dear sister. I love you, dear brother. We, we ought to be feeling something when someone leaves. Why? Because we are, we're building upon the foundation. Christ says, they shall know you by the love that we have for one another. That's the march of a genuine, true Christian. It's the love that we have for one another. We even see this in the early church as well in the book of Acts when the people of God shared their possessions with one another. People, Nina, don't just give out their stuff. They don't just hand away all of their possessions, their land, uh, their donkey stuff. They make a living by. They don't just give away their possessions. Some things people would say is wrong with you, right? But with God, he changes us. And we're able to do things that to the world seems foolish, 
That's why we're able to, to, to come together and send monies to India so that Pastor Sudar Shan can take the work and spread it further, right? It's because of the change that is within us that will cause us to take part and to be, want to be a part of the work of God. We see this in Acts 2, verses 44 and 45. The text says, and when, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. It's because of the change that is within us that we want to share our goods with one another. The next two verses, um, we, we see that the unfaithfulness to God is addressed in verses 11 and 12 of our text. Their unfaithfulness to God. There the text says Judah has been faithless and abomination had been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for, for Judah had profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and he married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. In these verses, we're able to see how Judah in particular were unfaithful to the Lord. These were supposed to be the covenant people of God, which meant they couldn't have any other gods. They were in a covenant relationship. They were in agreement with God. So what did God do to protect Israel's covenantal relationship with God, he commanded them not to intermarry with other people from surrounding nations who had been known for worshiping idol gods. And so he gives them this command. We see this command given in Deuteronomy 7, 3 and 4. In the text, the Lord God states, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly we see a terrible picture of this in the scriptures with Solomon right he took upon other wives who served other gods and it turned his heart God's covenant people were forbidden to have mixed marriages however the whole nation had begun to practice what was forbidden. It's as if the culture was overtaking them. Now, now the, the Lord's covenantal relationship was now slowly being destroyed. It's as if it was being eaten away. People were profaning the Lord's marriage institution, kind of like today. When people want to hijack what God have clearly stated in his, in his word that, that, that marriage ought to be between a man, one man, 
and one woman. This is, this is, this is God's institution. But it was the practice of the day. You could, you could even find people who would claim the name of Christ and say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't see nothing wrong with it. Two people love, the, love each other. They ought to be together. They ought to be able to be together. You, you're with the person you love. Why they can't be with the person that they love? Because God said no. And we must follow the commands of God. Today, the modern version of mixed marriages is, is a Christian marriage, uh, a Christian marrying a non-Christian. Scripture warns us not to do this through the apostle Paul. Now, now just to, to, to give some, uh, some background for this as well, I want to also keep in mind that sometimes people become Christians after they are already married, right? And so uh, this is talking about going into marriage. And so here the Apostle Paul uh, in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Baal, Belial? Or what portion does a believer share in an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And there's a lot to be said. There's a lot of danger uh, in going into a marriage. There's a lot of destruction that comes with that and going into a marriage with an unbelieving person because you might find yourself in a marriage with a person who would dishonor and disrespect the name of God. So God warns us. Not to get into those kinds. And there's a slew of trials and tribulations that come with that because ideally there's no agreement spiritually. It's night and day. And so God warns us that we ought to be in right relationships, God honoring relationships. And so we, we might uh, also, add, as stated at the end of the verse, that it is intended to be a oneness relationship. That's, that's the idea. That's the goal. And so here we, we see the oneness and the unity being pushed where there's true unity between husbands and their wives, spiritually, physically, emotionally, God is honored in that. But we have to be careful in being in marriage because we have little ones with little feet, children who are following after us, and we have to make sure that we are presenting for them the right kind of relationship between two believers. To veer away from the commands of God would only prevent from being accepted by God. God is our all in all. 
Christ alone is our full satisfaction. God is the only one who can truly satisfy. So we're to expect being let down from things in this life. Why? Because we're in a sinful, fallen world and everything in all creation have been affected by sin. And so, as Christians, we're called to holiness. We're we're called to live lives that are set apart for the glory of God. The prophet of God continues with a second indictment against the people in verses 13 through 16. The second violation that prevented the people from being accepted by God is unfaithfulness to their wives, to the wives of their youth. In verse 13, he states in the text, and this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accept it with favor from your hand. In other words, they've broken fellowship. They've broken the communion that they would normally have with God. They would bring in their offerings and then they would turn and begin living right lives for God. But not these people. They were in marriages they weren't supposed to be in. They had divorced their wives. They have married other people that served other gods. And yet they brought into God's place of worship and offering that really was unacceptable. Unacceptable. So, at this point, because the people had a disregard for the commands of God, they had fallen deeper into sin. The men of Israel were choosing to divorce their wives, to intermarry with women from the surrounding nations who were worshiping other gods. And they responded, the prophet responded, but you say, why does he not? And the prophet says, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. He says, because you left the marriage that I commanded you to stay in, your offerings is unacceptable. Did he not make, the prophet says, make them one with the portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in the spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. As men, as women, children of God, we must remain faithful in the covenant relationship we have with our spouses. We must continue to honor the institution to bring glory to God. We're commanded to guard ourselves, guard our spirits. In our spirits, we're to feed on the word of God and we're to become faithful. 
and not faithless. In in verse 16, we see a call to repentance because of the destruction that was brought upon the marital union. Because of the broken marriage that led to divorce, with, which God hates, and then remarriage. Because of this, the people needed to, be, needed, needed to repent. Verse 16 says, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. The command they were given are for us today. We must also follow the commands of God. We must also Guard ourselves in our spirit and do not be faithless. And brothers and sisters, if you've gone through a divorce, the beauty of the gospel is that God have come and he have died for our sins once and for all. And so the blood covers every sin that we've ever committed And we're able to be brought into a right relationship with God because of his love, because of his righteousness. And so in in, in being accepted by God, there's a word for those who do not know him. At this point, if you do not know Christ, you're not accepted by God. You see, whenever sin is involved, We have to go back and remind ourselves that the root of the problem lies deep within man's heart. In many cases, we use excuses or circumstances to clear ourselves of the reasons why we're unfaithful in areas of of our lives where we know we ought to be more faithful. Unfaithfulness in any area of our lives will prevent us from being accepted by God from having fellowship and communion with God. Therefore, we must repent of our sins and turn to Christ. At the end of the day, sin is really a heart issue. Until we deal with the heart issue, until we acknowledge the sin that lies deep within us and recognize that we are sinful creatures, we will not be accepted by God The scripture teaches us to humble ourselves. It's through Christ. It's through faith in him. It's by his grace, his death for sin on the cross, his burial, his resurrection. It's through Christ that we are made right with God. We're all sinners in need of God's grace every day. We're in need of his forgiveness. But in order for us to be forgiven and saved from sin and hell, we must come by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of our sins. Then we can have right relationship with God through faith. It is through faith. It is through his finished works upon the cross that we can have hope that we can have comfort, 
that we can have joy. Why? Because it's not because of what we have done. There's no righteousness within ourselves. There's no works that we can offer, but it's only through Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so the dividing line is faith. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and him for salvation. We would be saved through our faith in him. But if we do not trust in Christ and hope in him for salvation, there is no hope. There is no acceptance. Only through Christ. You see, Christ alone is the remedy for all sin, for all sickness, for whatever we're going through in life. Christ is that remedy. Christ is that satisfaction. Christ is our all in all. Christ is all we need. And so, Christ, without works, is the remedy for salvation and for all of life. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, use your word to help your people, to lead, to guide, to satisfy, to build up, to edify, to strengthen. May your word be acceptable in our hearts that we might forever live for you and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.